Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. So Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, in this last chapter, chapter 6, ends his letter by saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why do we need to be strong in the Lord? What is it that we're up against? 1 John chapter 3 reminds us that it was for this purpose that Christ was revealed, to destroy all the works of the evil one. And Paul here is reminding the Ephesian church of things that they would have been quite familiar with because they were living in a time when people were well aware of evil spirits, of demons, of supernatural goings-on. He speaks here of rulers, of authorities and powers in this dark world, and of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if you read through the Gospels, For Jesus, dealing with evil spirits and the demon-possessed was almost as commonplace as physical healing. People of those times knew about and feared an actual presence of evil and the demonic, and they were familiar with these manifestations. Nowadays, while many would deny the presence of evil, and dismiss as fantasy things of the occult, yet more actually worship and come under the influence of Satan, many without realizing it. Scripture warns us again and again of the wily ways of the devil. It calls Satan the father of lies, the accuser, the deceiver, And as well as manifesting in demonic and occultic form, he is far more likely to corrupt and to undermine in subtle ways. If you think of our society nowadays, he uses multimedia to pervert us, to corrupt us. And if you think of the proliferation of Halloween celebrations, particularly this year, Um, It shocked me that every shop was full of Halloween stuff. The many films and television series and computer games that involve werewolves, zombies, witches. I was horrified when my little three-year-old came and was, shall we play Ombies, Nanny? What are Ombies? You know, Ombies, Nanny. Zombies, she was talking about. Where's that come from? And subtly, he manages to convince our younger generations that all this supernatural stuff is just a bit of fun. It's make-believe. I wonder if some of you listened to C.S. Lewis's Screwtape letters recently on the radio. They uh, had a a re-reading of those recently. And if you haven't read that book, it's a very wry and amusing series of letters between a junior demon and his uncle demon, who is training him in the art of perverting Christians. And it's interesting that all the time 
his Christian, his Christian, is passive and quiet and not active and not growing in the face, then the demon is quite happy to leave him to go his own sweet way. But it's when he becomes active and growing deeper in the face that the demon has to go into action and apply all kinds of subtle trickery to try and turn him from his face. We should be in no doubt that there is a battle going on. It is real. It's not make-believe. And we need to be alert and ready to defend ourselves. This is how the message puts it. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life-or-death fight against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. I like the way the message puts that. So how can we do this? What has God provided for our defense so that we can be strong in the Lord and stand firm? Well, most of us are really familiar with that protective armor that we've just put on as we read the scriptures. And that body armor is to enable us to stand firm through and after an attack. And we will come under attack. Bad things do and probably will happen during the course of our lives. Our faith, however strong, will not stop bad things happening to us, but it should determine what our response will be to those difficulties. And if we use God's defences to bring us through to the other side of those difficulties, we will still be standing firm. Paul and the early church were familiar with the armour of a Roman soldier. And so this description gave them, as it gives us, a mental picture to imagine as they went through it. And we pictured ourselves this morning getting geared up in our spiritual armour. And each piece of that armour tells us something about God. There's the belt of truth, which represents the truth of who God is and what his word says to us. We need to know the promises of God to us and to know that God does not lie, that he is faithful, that he can be trusted to keep his word. Psalm 91 verse 4 says, his faithful promises are my armor and my protection. And then there's that breastplate of righteousness. It guards the heart and the vital organs. And that speaks of our emotions. And you know, our emotions are so easily taken off on a tangent and diverted to other things. This is a huge area of attack for the enemy. And particularly if we are sinning, it gives the devil an opportunity. Sin creates a chink in our armor. So our breastplate is making sure that we are always right with God. We need to be confessing sin and repenting of it because we know that that's what God deals with straight away 
as long as we are faithful to confess. We need to be right before God. And that's our breastplate, getting ourselves right with God. On our feet go shoes, which are the gospel or good news about Jesus. And that gives us peace. We need to be sure of what the gospel is, what it means, and to be ready to share it wherever we go and to demonstrate it in our lives. The shield of faith is our ability and and assurance to say, this is what I believe about Jesus Christ, who is my saviour, no matter what the circumstance. Paul gives a wonderful picture of the enemy aiming fiery darts at us, and our shield of faith is like that force shield that shoots them all straight back at him. But we need to be sure of who Jesus is in order to have that shield of faith up to deflect those darts. And then for our heads, our minds, we've got the helmet of salvation. And that's the knowledge of who we are in Christ. That assurance, that confidence in Christ, that his blood is more than sufficient for us and has paid the price for all our sins. And then covered in all that wonderful protection, we've got a mighty weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus used the sword of the Spirit when he was tempted in the desert by the devil. The devil knows scripture. He knows exactly what scripture says. So how much more do we need to know it? It is written, declared Jesus, against every temptation that the devil could come up with. And for us too, we need to be able to declare, it is written. This is what God's word says about this situation. When we come under attack, whether it's illness, whether it's family problems, financial worries, relationships, we must be able to stand on God's word for us. Um, I don't know if anyone here reads this, but I look at word for today most days. It's it's a tiny little bit of, of reading with a scripture verse, and it's amazing how often the words in word for today are very apt for the situation you're going through. And this last week, it's been talking about going through the storm, having your storm shelter. And it says, know your storm manual. This is the storm manual, the Bible, the word of God. And we need to know it to be able to get through these difficult times. The message doesn't use that picture of the armor. The message being a a very up-to-date and new version of the Bible. Um doesn't need to have that picture of an old-fashioned Roman soldier. I have a slight electrocution event in a minute. Um, But the message says this, rather than the armor, it says truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. I like that. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. And if God's word is an indispensable weapon, we can't do without it. So we need to know it and have it ready. And then Ephesians 6 goes on to say, in the same way, prayer is essential. 
and that we read together, didn't we, about prayer. Our version in the NIV says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is not just something that we do in a prayer meeting or in church. Prayer is a powerful weapon in our Christian lives. But it's a weapon that we often put to one side because we think we haven't got time for it. And again, in word for today, this week, it said, many of us treat prayer like a visit to the emergency room. Until then, we neglect it. But prayer is not just for emergencies. There are so many different kinds of prayers. It's not just about asking for things. It's something we can be doing and should be doing all the time. And if that seems burdensome, let's think about what prayer is. First of all, it's praising and worshipping God. That's prayer. We sang earlier, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. That's the password to come into God's presence. I read recently of one of the great evangelists who said, if I only have 10 minutes to pray, eight of those 10 minutes I will spend worshipping. It's amazing what God can do in the other two minutes. Prayer is giving thanks. It's looking at our situations and seeing how blessed we are and giving glory to God. That's something that we can do all the time. Some of you may have had a bit of a problem with your water yesterday. We had a, a, a burst main. Apparently it was out near Gavile and Gilwan. But all of a sudden out of our taps came filthy, dirty water. And we couldn't use the water. And when we're used to just turning on a tap and having it come out, it's quite a shock when you suddenly realize you haven't got any water. You can't make a cup of tea. You can't wash up. You can't do the cooking that you were trying to do. And for a minute, I went into, oh, for goodness sake, and phoning the waterboard mode. And then I thought, thank you, Lord. We are so blessed to have taps to turn on and water to come out whenever we want it. Having been in Kenya and seen women carrying for huge distances, great buckets of water, filthy water at that, far dirtier than the water that was coming out of my tap, I just had to stop and give thanks that we are so blessed in what we have. Giving thanks is something that we can do all the time. And we need to get into that thanks mode rather than that negative mode. And prayer is declaring God's word. Sometimes a group of us, as you know, go up on the hills to pray blessing over the area And when we go up, we declare loudly what God's word says. When in church, we recite the creed together. That's declaring, and it's part of prayer. It's also warfare, and it's powerful because we're saying, this is what our God has said. This is what our God is going to do. This is what our God has done in the past and will do again. It's powerful. Some of you will remember on the Olympic torch run, when we had the Olympic torch come right past here, uh, every day of that Olympic torch run, 
there was a scripture verse, a declaration, and a blessing that was given over the place where the torch was going through. And each day, I think it was about 75 days, there was a different blessing and declaration. And many, many Christians over the country prayed those declarations and those blessings over the country and over their particular area. And in fact, when we had the torch here, we started at one end of Abergavenny and we prayer walked right the way through the town to Waitrose and we prayed those declarations and blessings over the town. Declarations. Actually, um, at the moment, there is a lot of spiritual warfare happening in Merthyr. Merthyr is a place where there's a lot of spiritual darkness and there are several churches who are really alive and, and open to God. And as part of, of their coming against that spiritual warfare, there was a picture of one of these churches with a ribbon across the gate. And it was like declare, you had to declare the church open. And so cutting the ribbon and saying, I declare this church is open for business and for the works of the Lord. That's declaration, and it's part of prayer. Prayer is blessing. Very few people will say no if you ask to bless them. And as you bless them, you are putting onto them the the love of God and the, the favor of God. And that is our ministry as priestly believers to bless people. We're saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. I was in the doctor's surgery the other day, and when I went in, I met a lady from one of the other churches who is a great prayer. She's well in her 80s now, but when she saw me, she said, oh, I haven't seen you for 80s, and she started to tell me in a very loud voice in the waiting room, all that was happening in her church and all the exciting things they were doing. But, you know, every time someone else came into the waiting room, she'd just stop what she was saying and she would just say, oh, bless you, Lord, won't you bless him? Oh, Lord, will you bless her and make her well? And everybody who came in, she gave a little blessing to and then just carried on in her stream of telling me what was happening. That's, that's prayer, constant prayer looking at people as we go past them, people in the shop who's serving us, people in our family, our neighbours, a constant blessing coming out of us. And then prayer is listening. We're not very good at that bit, are we? Listening quietly before God, seeking to be in his presence, picking up what he wants us to pray for. Since we've been praying in the local houses of prayer way, and trying to listen to the Holy Spirit to lead us as to who to pray for. Do you know, it's amazing how often God creates opportunities for us to bump into the very person that we've been praying for. And there's an opportunity then to say, how are you? What's happening? Can I pray about that thing that's going on in your life? We can be a compassionate ear, not only to God, but to other people. And then it's having a relationship with God where we're in constant 
communication with him. It's not something we only do here in church or in a special place in our house. It's a natural talking to God all the time as we would a close friend. And finally, really, prayer is interceding. It's asking God, in the name of Jesus, to act for the good of those that we love and those we care about. But what it isn't is telling God about a problem and then telling him how we want him to solve it. That's just rude. Because we need to know and believe that God and his ways are far better than ours. He knows the road ahead. He also knows the situation that we're praying about. So sitting with a long list of problems and then telling God how to put them right is is really not the way we should be doing it. You know, some of the most powerful weapons that Satan likes to use is causing us to fear. That's disobedience because God's word says do not fear. It's causing us to worry. Again, that's disobedience because God's word tells us not to be anxious. And causing us to doubt that God is able. So as we intercede for other people, as we pray for situations, we just have to give it to God and ask him to be God in that situation. And that's when we need that sword of the Spirit, because we need to know what God's word says about that situation and just declare his faithfulness. Finally, in that chapter, Paul asks for prayer for himself. And you know, we're often good at praying for others, but we're not very good at asking for prayer for ourselves. Down at Victory Church in Cumbran, it's wonderful to see hundreds of people going forward for prayer. I bet if I asked people to come forward to prayer now, there wouldn't be very many people rushing up to the front. But you know, when we know that we need prayer and we have the courage to say so and get up and ask for it, that's when God can really move. We need to get better at trusting God and trusting one another in prayer. When we're praying for somebody else face to face, it doesn't need to be a long counselling session. People don't have to tell you all their secrets. You don't have to tell other people all your secrets because God knows what the problem is without you even asking. But it's the very act of saying to a fellow Christian or to your pastor, please pray for me, and receiving a simple prayer and a blessing, that's enough for God to set to work. So here's Paul, this mighty man, in humility, asking for the words to speak. This is a great theologian, a man who's versed in all the scriptures, and here he is asking his church to pray for him and to give him the words to speak and to help him to overcome his fear. We think of Paul as this mighty preacher, and yet here he is asking for the way to overcome his fear. And that's a wonderful insight into Paul and his character, because he clearly didn't feel adequate for the task that God had called him to. Like us, he was often afraid. Yet having written this wonderful letter, which is full of advice and radical teaching, 
he's humble enough to ask his church to pray for him. And we too need to keep all our church leaders in constant prayer. We need to do that. Now we began our service this morning with the Advent candle and that liturgy. And that passage ends with clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus. What better armour, what better protection could we have than the very presence of God clothing us? So let's try and place ourselves into that presence through worship, through studying the word, through prayer. And as well as Advent being a time to prepare ourselves spiritually for the coming of the Messiah, it's a time when we need to be alert, to be watching for the second coming. Paul reminds us that we're in a battle, but God has given us all we need to stand firm.